sides of the sanctuary again tonight. <laughs> I'll teach this way, then I'll teach this way, then I'll teach this way. <laughs> right side, left side. Well, if you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of Isaiah. We are rapidly coming towards the end. We are in Isaiah chapter 51 and 52 this evening. If you need a Bible, Stephen's up and he has four Bibles in his hands. Three of them are newer ones. One of them is an old one. <laughs> That's your Bible? No. If you need one, just raise your hand and he'll bring one to your seat so you can follow along with us. I think um, as you're turning there, if you've been watching the news, I've been watching the news a little bit and seeing the tension going on between North Korea and the United States, I think for us as Christians... We need to be praying, especially um, for those in our military. You know, we have a lot, a lot of family members in the military, and uh, you know, they said just this this afternoon. I heard they had, now they're threatening to attack Guam. You know, sending four missiles there, and I think, oh man, that's not a good idea, uh, just because of the amount of lives that would be lost in something like that. And so, um, as we pray and get into God's word uh, this evening, I want to pray for. Pray for our country. Pray for those in our military. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. And I think as we see these things happening, we just got to keep our eyes on the Lord. And the Lord, you're coming back soon. We're just keeping our eyes on you. And so as we, if you turn to Isaiah 51, let's open it with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this night tonight, Lord. Any night that we could meet and open up your word and talk about what you have to say to us is a great night. And, Lord, we look forward to what you're going to teach us this evening, Father. We do want to pray for our country. We pray uh, for the leadership of our country, that you would give them wisdom. Lord, I know there are many uh, believers. There's a group of men that re- meet regularly for Bible study, Lord, that are in the leadership of our, our country even today. And, and we thank you for that, Lord. And, and perhaps you've placed them there just for such a time as as this right now, when we do pray that you'd give our leaders wisdom and knowing how to react, how to respond, uh, Lord, to the threats and the things that are going on in, in our world today. We do pray for our, 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 those in the military, Lord, those families of those that have children in the military or, or relatives in the military. We pray, uh, first of all, for those in the military that you provide just uh, protection for them, Lord God. Keep them safe, Lord. And uh, just for the families, Lord, that we would just have comfort knowing, Lord, that you're in control and that you have a plan and a purpose in all of this. And So, Lord, we thank you for this night again. We pray your blessing upon our time as we look to you and what you have to say to us this evening. And we commit this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been looking at the final section of the book of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 66, really focus in on the Messiah, focuses in on the nation of Israel. We know in chapters 1 through 39, we've seen the sovereign Lord sitting on his throne of judgment. But here in chapters 40 through 66, we see the Lord as Savior hanging on the tree, hanging on the cross. Now we know that God in the last days uh, will turn his attention back onto the nation of Israel, his chosen people. Right now, God's attention is on you and I. God is allowing his Holy Spirit to work in uh, the lives of the Gentiles of the whole world. We live in a time that's called the church age, or or a time called the age of the grace or the age of the Gentiles. Now, we don't know when it's going to end. We do know that it will end with the rapture of the church, but we're not sure when that it could be. It could be right now. Right now. (laughs) 
I'm, I'm telling you, one of these days, yes, if I'm not here, you know, Lord takes me before, then you're going to remember, hey, Tom was looking one day for right now, right now. But until that time comes, there is still time for men and women to come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But once the rapture takes place, and the beginning of the seven-year Great Tribulation begins, the focus, the attention turns onto Israel, and God will fulfill many promises uh, that he made to Israel. And what we see in chapter 51 here is about Israel, even though some of the principles we can apply to our own lives uh, as as believers. But we need to remember this is coming from a time uh, when God will keep his promises for his chosen people, Israel. He chose Abraham, then, then Abraham came Isaac, and after Isaac came Jacob. And you recall God made promises and said, I'm going to keep my word, I'm going to keep my promise. We're told in Leviticus chapter 2644 concerning Israel, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them, to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. And you, you, you never have to expect God to go back on his promises. Now I think, if we're honest, you know, at times I think that he, he does go back on his promises. We get a little pressure and we get a little, you know, panicked and a little lapse in faith. And you might begin to think that this is the one time that God is going to let me down. This is the one time that all things won't work for good according to God, according to his purpose. This is the one time that God is going to forsake me. And we got this, oh, this is the one time. But then you go back to the Bible, you go back to God's word and you start to read again and you read of course God's going to take care of me. He's promised not to leave me. He's promised not to forsake me. Uh, you know, God doesn't go back on his promises. And we find great comfort and peace from God's word. Well, here in the first part of chapter 51, the Jews are still in Judah. They're still in Jerusalem. The, the Babylonian captivity is not taking place yet. And it would still be decades into the future But God has taken the time to record at this time for those who would be reading this while in captivity to promise them that they will be restored, that they'll be set free, that they can go back into the land, that God has a plan for them and certain promises to them that God will not back out on. So that while in captivity, they'll find comfort and peace from God's word. As I said, the same is true for us. We find comfort and peace because God's given us his word. So he says to them, now look at verses 1 and 2. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. It begins with, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. That could be said to all of us. God is saying to us, listen to me. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes my house can get really, really noisy. Especially with a couple of boys living there that, that are, you know, the ages they are. The TV's on, people are talking, you know, back and forth. The music is on in, in two different bedrooms, you know, two different rooms have TVs on. You get a phone call and you got, you got to go outside someplace quiet just so you can talk and listen. And I got to thinking about that. Maybe there's so much noise going on in our lives that God is calling us. Hey, listen, you need to, to come away and listen to me. Listen. Perhaps a lot of distractions are taking place and God is saying, take the time to separate yourself from the distractions of life and listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Maybe that means getting up a half hour earlier in the morning just to wait on the Lord and to listen to what he has to say. So many people today are telling us what we should do and where we should go and and how we should act. And the Lord is saying, listen to me, come to me. 
I have a plan for your life. Seek me first. And here he's telling the Jewish people to listen to what he has to say. And he wants them to look back at their roots to bring encouragement to them. And he says, take Abraham, for example. See, when God called Abraham, it was just Abraham and Sarah. But God promised that he would multiply Abraham's descendants to be more numerous than the stars or the sand of the seashore. Yet at first, it was just Abraham, then Abraham and Sarah. But God blessed him when it was just the two of them, and eventually a great nation came from them. You see, the Lord is encouraging this remnant of those left in Babylon after their captivity, saying that even though you may be few, God can do something great with just a few. Even though your numbers may be small, God can do great things. I think that's something that we all need to remember. God can do great things with just a few. Twelve apostles changed the world. One apostle, Paul, affected so many lives even to this day. God is looking not for our numbers. He's looking for our availability, not our ability. He will do the work. And here God is saying, even though you don't see the promises fulfilled, look at your past, look at Abraham, look at what I did in his life. Now, Romans 4, 3 tells us, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. By faith, Abraham believed God. God is saying to those Jews in captivity, By faith, believe me. I will keep my promise. You will return to your land. Now look at verse 3. He says, For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make a wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving in the voice of melody. Look at all the things that God says he will do in that verse. He'll bring comfort. He will make her wilderness like Eden. He will bring joy and gladness. God says he will do something. You can count on it. Now again, God is speaking of what is yet a future day of restoration for the nation of Israel. When he says their wilderness will become like the garden of Eden and their desert like the garden of the Lord. Now this speaks of of much further past the Babylonian captivity actually clear into our time and, 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 and into the future. We know that there's, there's very troubling times ahead for the nation of Israel. It's a time known as Jacob's Trouble. The Jews will be forced to flee their land once more during the Great Tribulation period. This will happen during the last three and a half years as the Antichrist will turn his wrath against the Jewish people. But the, at the end of that period is when God is going to restore the glory unto the nation for the Messiah shall come and he'll establish God's kingdom and God's throne upon the earth for a thousand years. And he'll rule from Zion at this time. This prophecy Isaiah shall be fulfilled as God brings a whole new condition uh, to the earth and, 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 and as he restores the earth to its glory, to its beauty like it was before man's fall there in the Garden of Eden. He will make her wilderness like Eden. This will be during the millennial reign of Christ. Now, I, for one, can't wait to see what that earth is going to look like, restored to the way it was before the flood. I think we all have pictures in our mind. We've, told, we've heard stories about it. But, 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 man, what is it going to be like? We know that before the flood, there's this heavy you know, shield of, of, of moisture in the atmosphere that shielded the earth from much, much of the sun's radiation. As a result, man lived to be up to 900 years old. I mean, think about that. If you were able to live for 900 years, all the knowledge that you would accumulate over 900 years. I was watching a movie last night. Um, what's it called? I forget now. We did, they take the little pill, and 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 uh, and, and, and 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 the lead actor uh, was used. The pill would cause the lead actor to to use 100% of his brain capacity, uh, and and uh, you know he'd be a walking genius. 
what's it called? Limitless. Thank you. I was watching it last night. <laughs> Just last night. See, see, my brain is getting smaller and smaller, and then the capacity is getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> but think about that. I mean, if you're alive for 900 years, I mean, you wouldn't need a pill to give you, uh, you know, to, to learn things. I mean, you just go on learning and learning, absorbing all that for 900 years, and, and, and your brain would just use, have so much more of the brain capacity to be able to do many more interesting things. I am convinced that early man was not some grunting half-beast with a club dragging his wife by his hair into the cave. You know, I, I, he was a highly intelligent being. Thinking about this, Adam was able to name all the animals according to their characteristics. We have a hard time picking out names for our kids, you know, let alone names for the whole animal kingdom. But you see, that kind of earth made it possible for man to live that long and accomplish such great things. All that to say, when the millennial reign of Christ happens, the land of Israel will be like the Garden of Eden. Mankind will live again into the hundreds of years. We know that the Garden of Eden was quite beautiful because of the, the moisture that was kept in, that, that the plants grew and animals grew enormously. There have been scientists that, that have said that many of the animals before the flood were quite large. Some of them, these animals were, that were caught in the flood and through the sediment, they were kept in place. In fact, I read of an archaeologist that had found a fossil of a cockroach that was 18 inches long. I mean, that's one cockroach you're not going to step on. I, I mean... I mean, you know, it's crazy. I read that they found asparagus ferns that were 60 feet tall. All kinds of tropical vegetation found in the North Pole area. And the whole earth was, was no doubt just this lush, beautiful, glorious place. But God's going to restore it to such a state, he says here, her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Well, he goes on. Look at verse 4. Once again, telling his people to listen. He says, listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. For law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. Now, ever since chapter 42 began, God has been telling us about the coming of his servant. In chapter 42, verses 1 through 3, we read that this is the one with the Spirit upon him who would bring forth justice to the nations. Chapter 49, verse 2, he said, the servant whose mouth is like a sharp sword. And in 49, verse 5, he's a servant whose ministry was to bring the Jews back to God. Verse 7, his servant was to be despised at his first coming, but, but princes will bow down to him at his second coming in chapter 49. And once again, God is telling the Jews that when his servant, the Messiah, comes, when Jesus comes, he will be the law and he will be justice. For, for law will proceed from me and I'll make my justice rest. He'll be the light of the nations. He'll be God's righteousness. He will be God's salvation. What the Lord is saying here is that Israel, the Jewish people, will one day finally recognize Jesus as their Messiah. So he goes on, look at verses 6 through 8. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. And look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. 
Man, how's that for, for eternal security right there? God said, I'm going to take care of those that, that I know. It's interesting that the, the book of Revelation describes the event that Isaiah speaks of here just prior to the return of Jesus Christ. Listen to Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. Apostle John writes, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. The sky receding like a scroll is an interesting phrase. It describes really what happens in a, in a nuclear blast. The sky folds in on itself. That could be what John is describing. But God is saying in Isaiah that the heavens will vanish away as smoke. Now this is going to happen because God's word says it will happen. But as horrifying as these things sound, God here is, is using it to reassure his people. That they all, although the earth is, is, is wearing out like an old shirt and, and people around the world are dying by the millions, he's going to be faithful to those who, who are his. He's going to be faithful to those who belong to him. His salvation is, is forever that he gives to us. And all those opposed God, uh, the, the, the opposed to God's people will be gone like a, a shirt eaten by moths, he says. Well, now next we get a response from the people. Look at verse 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days and the generations of old. Now, the response of the people is, Lord, you've told us to look and consider our past. You've given us promises for the future. But what about right now? What about now? You Wake up, Lord. You must be sleeping. We're having troubles right now. And I think of Jesus' disciples. They had the same idea when they were caught. They're out in their boat in the midst of the storm. And there in Luke chapter 8, verse 24, we read that while Jesus was sleeping on the boat, they came to him and they awoke him and saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they, and they ceased and there was this calm. I think we, we can feel the same way as well. We've know, we, we know we've been saved from our past sins. We know there's a future for us in heaven. But sometimes we, we wonder if the Lord is awake, if he's aware of our present difficulties. And we may, may cry out, Lord, uh, awake, Lord, help. But to see, God reminds us over and over again that he's in control by showing us in his word what he's done in the past. As we read back in verse 3 about Abraham. As we just read now uh, about Jesus when he said, peace be still in the waves and the, and the sea turned to calmness. Listen, when you face times of doubt, remember all the ways in which the Lord has been faithful. All the ways in which the Lord has used all things for good. And it will change your attitude. It may not change your present situation, but God will give you the strength to get through it. So here Israel does the same thing. They remember the way God moved in the past. They, they go on to verse 9. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? Now, another, another title of the servant of God is, is Jesus Christ. He is the arm of the Lord. And here we read, are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart? Now, that sounds kind of weird, but you've got to remember that Rahab was the name of the Egyptian water dragon, and Egypt would have come to be called by its name, the same name. Psalm 87 verse 4 calls Egypt Rahab. And so he's saying that Jesus Christ is the one who brought the plagues upon Egypt and part of the Red Sea, delivering the Jews from their bondage. It's Jesus who calms the storms. It's Jesus who brings peace in our lives in the midst of turmoil. 
God doesn't sleep. God doesn't slumber. He doesn't need to be told to wake up. He's aware of all that's going on in our lives. Now, verse 11 through 15 seems to be God's response to the prayer of verse 9. Look at verse 11. So the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy in their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of man who will die and of the Son of Man who will be made like grass? And you forget the Lord your Maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he is prepared, he is prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exiles hastens that he may be loosed, that he should not die in the pit, and that is his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. See, God's continual words of reassurance to those who are in exile rather includes a comparison. He says, why are you afraid of men when I'm on your side? I'm the eternal one. These, these men, I mean, you're fearing men, and men, they're going to die. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28? He said, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We're told in Proverbs 29.25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Here we're seeing that, that God's saying, you know, the, the Jews, that you're afraid of the, your Babylonian opponents. But you've walked away from me, the Lord. You've walked away from the one that could help you. And yet he, he's telling them again and again that they will not be abandoned in Babylon. They will not be abandoned forever. They are his people. They'll not leave them to die in that foreign dungeon. Trust him, he says. And he gives them an example of his power. He says, I stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. He says, I am the Lord your God who divided the sea whose waves roared. And he reminds us of who he is. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Now, when you look at the attributes of God, you realize there is nothing too hard for God. That is God's point here. You have nothing to be afraid of. He goes on in verse 16. And I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. Again, I think it's such a tragic thing when, when people misread the Bible and they say, well, God is done with the nation of Israel. Over and over again, God reminds us that he will once again move into the lives of, of his people, Israel. Now, in verse 17... It's like the Lord is turning the tables on them. It's as if he's saying, you're accusing me of sleeping, of telling me to, to awake. I'm not the one that's sleeping. You're the one that, that's sleeping. He says, look at verse 17. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it out. There is no one to guide her among all the sons she had brought forth, nor is there any who takes her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have come to you. Who will be sorry for you? Desolation and destruction, famine and sword. By whom will I comfort you? See, Jerusalem experienced the Lord's anger because of her disobedience. But one day, the punishment will end. On the other hand, we know that Babylon will drink the cup of his anger forever. You see, he's speaking of the terrible time of the tribulation that Israel will go through. As they experience desolation and destruction and famine and sword here. And he's saying, no one really seems to be concerned. It's interesting to me today how the world seems to be against Israel for no apparent reason. 
And yet, yet God is declaring that though there's no one to defend you, you're my special people. I'm going to take care of you. He goes on, look at verse 20. Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets like an antelope in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted and drunk, but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord and your God, who pleads the cause of his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no longer drink it. So God had been allowing the persecution of the Jewish people because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. But there is going to come a time when the Jewish people will no longer be persecuted by the nations of the world. That cup of trembling will be removed. The day will come when God will take away judgment and bless them. The day will be over. No more tribulation for these people. There will be this, this glorious reuniting of them with their God and God with them. But, verse 23 says, But I will put into the hand of those who afflict you, who have said to you, Lie down that we may walk over you, and you have laid your body like the ground as the street of those who walk over. See, the enemies of Israel, they're not going to get off so easily. Judgment is going to come to them. And think about this. Every nation that is majored in, in anti-Semitism has fallen and will fall. God is going to put his hand against those who afflicted the Jewish people at the promise. In fact, when Jesus comes back, his first duty is going to be that of judging the earth and the judgment of the nations is going to be how they treated the Jewish people. Okay, chapter 52. Again, God cries for them. Look at verse 1. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. So a call is given for Zion to awake and clothe herself in garments of honor and dignity provided by the Lord. He's saying the foreigners, that the invaders will no longer control the city when Israel is restored for the final time. Verse 2, he says, Shake yourself from the dust, arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Lose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You have sold yourself for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. See, the Jewish people became the servants of the foreign conquerors who paid nothing for Israel. But the Lord is saying here, I will redeem you but not with money. Interesting, Jesus put it this way in Mark 8, 36 and 37. He says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I mean, think about that. If, if Satan came to you and said, Hey, buddy, name your price. I want to buy your soul. How much would you charge for it? What kind of price would you put on it? Oh, I'll give you a million bucks for your soul. How about five million? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? When you look at it that way, you say, no way. It's not for sale. Because that's eternity. I don't want eternity in the kingdom of darkness. There's nothing I would take for it. It's priceless. That's the way God looks at it. He looks at your soul as priceless. The person who sells out to the devil, to the things of the world, will end up with nothing. How foolish it is for a man to sell his soul for nothing. And that is what God is saying to the Jews here. You sold yourself for nothing. You were taken captive by your enemies but I'm going to redeem you, not with money. I love that. We know according to First Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, that we've been redeemed, not with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what the Lord is getting at here with the Jewish people. He's their redeemer. He's their savior. Look at verse 4. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them well, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day, 
Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know on that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. Again, because of their sin, the Jews have been the subjects of God's judgment many times. But the day is coming when God pours his wrath out not on the Jews, but those nations that hated the Jews, including the future Babylon as well. We know in Revelation chapter 16, 19, it's called the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. He goes on in verse 7. He says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. What a great verse that is. See, Isaiah is saying that the blessings that will come when Israel finally returns to the land, the messengers will proclaim peace and bring glad tidings. And this is what's going to happen when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom. But the Apostle Paul took it even a step further in the book of Romans to include spreading the gospel. Listen to Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. He says this, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel to peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Paul is quoting Isaiah here. Now when you think about it, feet are not really that attractive. It's probably the least, the, you know, the, the least attractive of the human anatomy. I've known people over the years that are very self-conscious about various parts of their body, especially their feet. And they're sensitive about their feet. And they would just die if someone saw their ugly feet. But I think we've got it all wrong. You too can have beautiful feet, as the commercials might say. I can have beautiful feet, yes, with one simple exercise. You know, beautiful feet belong to the one who's willing to go out and tell others about Jesus. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. It's that easy. You and I can have beautiful feet as we share the gospel of peace. That man who was once enemies with God can be reconciled to God. You know, that word for peace there means at one with. See, before, you know, we were in turmoil, we were actually being torn apart. Where uh, in our hearts are at peace, it means that there's a oneness now. So that when I have peace with God, then I have the peace of God. And I'm not being torn in different directions. And that peace only comes through Jesus Christ and what he did upon the cross to reconcile us to God. But I think the issue here is that we need to be sharing the gospel that needs to be offered to everyone. I mean, sometimes we think, oh, that's just too difficult. And we, we make up all these excuses why, you know, maybe we, we shouldn't be the one to share God's love with, with some particular person. And, and we can, you know, think, well, you know, I, I never went to Bible college or graduated from seminary. I don't know if I could, I could share. Listen, has Jesus changed your life? Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that you're, you know, that, that a person needs to receive Jesus Christ's free gift of forgiveness to be saved? Then you know enough to share it with others. Just share the basics. Well, Isaiah goes on, look at verses 8 through 10. He says, Your watchmen shall lift up their voices, with the voices they shall sing together, where they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So we're seeing here the watchmen are rejoicing to see the Lord's salvation. And I believe these watchmen, they're receiving this message from none other than Jesus Christ himself. We're told in the book of Zechariah that one day Jesus will return to the earth, and it says in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3 and 4, that the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. 
And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. So at the end of the Great Tribulation period, the nations of the world will be attacking Jerusalem and the Jews still living inside will be convinced that they're just moments away from complete annihilation. And suddenly, the Lord Jesus appears. Steps down on the Mount of Olives that splits in two. You know what's going to happen? Verse 9, they will break forth in the joy and sing together. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Oh, yes, yes, man, our Redeemer, our Savior is here. It's going to be welcomed just in the nick of time. And again, in verse 10, we see Jesus referred to as the arm of the Lord. The Lord has made bare his only arm in the eyes of the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. They will all see, the earth will see Jesus Christ saving his people. Now we're told in, when Jesus comes back in Revelation 1-7, it says, Be, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. We're also told in Matthew 24:30, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Everyone on the earth will see Jesus Christ coming and saving his people. I don't know if that will be a supernatural appearing where everybody will be able to see Jesus in the clouds no matter where they live on the face of the earth. Or if this is a reference to the technology and the ability that we have today to, to have instant news via the TV. Something that has not been possible, you know, even 70 years ago. And it is everyday thing right now. Instantaneous news from all over the world. I know we're told in Revelation chapter 11 verses 9 and 10 when the two witnesses are killed by the Antichrist. It says there during the Great Tribulation that for three and a half days all peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will come to stare at their bodies no one will be allowed to bury them. All the people who belong to this world will give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. That's only going to be possible through television. My point is this. No other time in history has this scenario ever been possible than right now. Folks, I believe what we're reading about this evening is very, very close to happening. Jesus' return is even at the door. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now Isaiah goes on, look at verse 11 and 12. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So just like the Lord encouraged the captives in Babylon to make the trip back to the promised land, God will again open up the highways, the wilderness, and encourage the Jews to return to Jerusalem when the millennial kingdom is established on the earth. And what we read here is that God's going to protect their journey. In fact, many of them are going to receive first-class air travel. Listen to Matthew 24, 31. And he will send forth his angels with great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. I love that. And again, in verse 11, he says, Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. I thought that's interesting, interesting because according to Revelation 1, 6, because of Jesus, we are all now priests to God. We are the vessels of the Holy Spirit. And so as priests, as vessels, knowing that the Lord could return at any moment, we too need to stay clean. Depart from that which is evil. 
Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of your God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Then he goes on, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, in light of the Lord's soon return, don't let the world dirty us. Don't let the world spill on us. Don't let the world, uh, you know, mess you up. Stay away from those things that will bring you down. Finally, in verses 13 through 15, we read, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouth at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Here we have, again, a picture of Jesus Christ, the servant of the Lord. And Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross at his first coming. He will be lifted up in exaltation at his second coming. But even when he returns, his appearance, as we just read, will astonish everyone. Jesus said in in Zechariah 12, verse 10, And I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and the supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced, Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. They're going to mourn for him because they're going to see the scars of brutality which Jesus suffered, that they're still on him. He was brutalized so badly that his appearance was marred more than any man, Isaiah says here. When John saw him in Revelation, he described Jesus as the lamb standing as if slain, appearing to be butchered but alive. And when people see him at that state, they will finally understand what Jesus Christ paid for their sin, for our sin. Now here's the, the fascinating thing about this prophecy we just read. It's only the beginning. As we get to chapter 53 next week, if you've not read it before, you'll be blown away at the accuracy of what Jesus went through for, for us at his death and at his crucifixion. So much so that there have been those that have claimed that chapter 53 must have been written after Jesus had died to be so accurate. But that's just the way our God is. To tell us things beforehand so that we might believe and be comforted. So that's how we started out the study this evening. God was telling the Jews that that eventually they would be taken captive by Babylon. But to be comforted. Because there would come a time when God would bring them back into the land. And they would rejoice. So too we can be comforted that we know that the day is coming when Jesus will return. Because his word tells us it's true. And so we can rejoice now because we know it's true. Next week, Isaiah 53, it's going to be awesome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that are found in your word. And Lord, how you describe things that are going to happen way before time so that we can have comfort and peace. Lord, that you protect those that you've called to be your own, that you've, you've clothed us with the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ. You've made us righteous. And Lord, we've read tonight, you protect those that are your righteous. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for this time tonight, Lord God. I praise you for it. Lord, I pray again, we pray again for our country, for the decisions that need to be made, Lord. We pray for your protection. Lord, we recognize, Lord, that times are going to get worse because your word says that as we get close to your return, this will happen. And so, Lord, we are looking for that, for your return. Help us to be those vessels that you can use 
Lord, fit for, for the kingdom, Lord. Help us not to get the, the world dirtied on us, Lord, but to stay pure and holy and set apart. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll stand